Let us now open the Word of God. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, the verses 12 through 25. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your earthly masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ." But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So far from Colossians, let's also turn briefly a few pages back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. In many ways, Colossians and Ephesians are parallel letters, both written from prison, uh, both written about the same themes in largely the same order, uh, but in different words, and so sometimes it's helpful Uh, when you're working through one of the letters, to consult the other one and see how does Paul write it to that congregation. Uh, So here we just want to read a few verses from Ephesians. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So far from the Word of God. Now the text that we want to focus on is from Colossians that we read together. Uh, Colossians 3, uh, verses 20 and 21, just two verses. I'll read them again so they may be uh, on our minds. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So far. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we live in an epidemic of fatherlessness. I trust that uh, that's not news to most of you, or at least many of you. Uh, We live in this country in in an epidemic of fatherlessness. Uh, The situation here in, in Canada is not quite as bad as in the States, but it's not far behind. 
the statistics are more complete in the states, and I want to cite just a few. Uh, right now in the states, 34% of children grow up in a home without a father. That's a third of the children. Uh, those rates are on the rise and have been for decades, both in the states as well as here in Canada. And it should be common sense that, that children need a father and a mother. Uh, most of us know this instinctively. Uh, statistics have shown over and over again that there are, there are significant emotional, psychological, spiritual benefits for children who grow up with fathers and significant disadvantages for those children who don't have a father in the home. Uh, consider the following statistics from the Canadian Children's Rights Center. <clears throat> they, they say there, children who grow up fatherless are eight times more likely to go to prison five times more likely to commit suicide, 20 times more likely to have behavioral problems, 32 times more likely to become runaways, 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances, nine times more likely to drop out of high school, and only a tenth as likely uh, to get A's in high school. And it's a cycle that perpetuates because boys who grow up without a father in the home are far more likely to themselves impregnate and abandon. Uh, and girls who grow up without a father in, in the home are far more likely to become pregnant out of wedlock and to raise their children without a father, perpetuating the cycle of fatherlessness. Uh, so even our nation, this is not just a Christian truth, it's a human truth and one that our nation knows. Our nation recognizes that children need fathers. Uh, the stats that I just quoted come from the Ch uh, Canadian Children's Rights Center, which is far from uh, being a bastion of, of Christian conservatism. Uh, another one, the Canadian Association for Equality, also far from a place where Christian values are enshrined, uh, firmly supports the fact that children need fathers. <clears throat> uh, they say that, that fathers have the ability to profoundly influence the, the lives of their children for good or for ill by either being present and engaged in the lives of their children or by being absent or even worse, abusive. Uh, that being the case then, it should not surprise us that here in Colossians, as Paul starts to get to the, the practical nitty-gritty, the applications of what's the gospel look like in your life, it shouldn't surprise us that Paul has a word to fathers. Uh, and, and that's what we want to focus on this morning. <clears throat> uh, uh, just to give an overview of, of the, the larger themes here, uh, the big message of Colossians, it's a beautiful book, beautiful message, the big message is you as Christians have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, brought by God's grace into the kingdom of light. It's the whole theme of Colossians. It's chapter 1, verse uh, 13, and chapter 1, verse 21, that talks about uh, the grace that you've been shown understanding and coming to grips with just the significance of that truth. As I preached it in, in my home church when, it, when we were on those chapters, uh, I, I reminded the church, as I've had to remind myself over and over, there is no greater or more significant news in your life than the fact that you've been taken by God's grace from the kingdom of darkness, hating God, hating one another, doing evil deeds, and brought by God's grace 
to know Christ and to be part of his kingdom. There's no greater news. Every time I open up the BBC app on my phone, I stop and remind myself of that. You know, whatever news I find here, I need to remember there is no greater news than that I belong by God's grace to God's kingdom. And so that's the big message of Colossians. And then the, the larger part of the letter is just working that out in the nitty-gritty of your life. What's this look like as someone who's been redeemed, uh, who lives in Christ's kingdom? Uh, what does that look like in day-to-day life? Uh, and the big idea is, as those who are going to inherit Christ's kingdom forever, we now live, as Christians, we live kingdom down, not culture up. Uh, we live taking our values, our priorities from the kingdom of God, not from the culture around. So that's the big message here. And and this becomes especially critical when it comes to the question of fatherhood. What are you going to be as a father to the fathers in our midst? Will you take your cue from the culture around or from the kingdom of Christ? That's the question we want to look at. Now, when we do look around at the culture around us, uh, and that, that tragic absence of fatherhood that is precisely the sort of thing you would expect to see in the kind of kingdom that Paul has been describing, a kingdom where people are alienated from God, hating uh, God, hating one another, and filled with evil deeds. That's the sort of thing you find in the fatherhood of this culture. Men who were created to be strong and and powerful forces for good, using their strength, using their energy to destroy or to take and then to abandon. Uh, that's, That's the culture around us. But now who are you? So that's the culture around, but who are you? as one who's been taken from that culture and brought into the light of Christ, uh, you are a new person. You have a new future, a new identity even in Christ, and a new hope, and that leads to a new way of life, a whole new set of values and priorities. Uh, One more thing. Here in the kingdom of Christ, as we stand Uh, in in God's grace, in the kingdom of Christ, fathers in particular have a very honored role. Uh, You as fathers get to bear that title that God holds for himself, that title of father. It's a very honorable, noble title. Uh, In fact, Paul in in Ephesians uh, teaches us that actually all fathers derive their fatherhood, or or the very category of fatherhood, derives its meaning from the fatherhood of God. Uh, He says in Ephesians 3 verse 14, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, after whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. That's a very honored role then that you have as a father, where your identity is taken and modeled after God's identity as as father. So we see then that that Paul has a special word here to fathers. Uh, Now there is a word to children in verse 20, which we're largely going to just pass over. Uh, Part of the reason for that is uh, you get the Ten Commandments at least every couple years, um, and there's the commandment to children to honor your father and mother. Uh, So the children hear what's expected of them. The father's must also hear what is expected of them. So that's going to be our our focus. Uh, The word that Paul uses when he says fathers 
It can be taken more broadly to refer to parents in general. Uh, But I don't believe that is the case here. The reason is, Paul uses a different word for parents, a more specifically general word for parents, in verse 20. Children, obey your parents. It's a different word he uses. Uh, and, and so if he was trying to talk to the parents now, uh, to, to this side of the coin, he would use the same word. But he doesn't. He uses a word that more often than not is specific to, to fathers. Uh, so he has a special word to to fathers. Uh, now, that does not mean that this is therefore a sermon uh, where if you're not a father, uh, you get to kind of sit back, relax, and, and enjoy watching the men hear a heavy word from, from God. No, for Christian mothers, this, is, uh, this, this should paint a picture of the kind of man that you are to lead and, and help and guide your husband to be. Uh, for single women hoping to, to be married, this is the kind of father that you want to marry, uh, the, the kind of man that you want to marry and the father that he, he should be. Uh, remember that the man that you marry will have a tremendous impact not only on you, but on your children. Uh, and, and, so, uh, and so this is very much a sermon for, for you as well. Uh, also for those of us to whom God has not given children. Uh, there are married uh, couples, I'm sure, in this church as well, to whom God has not given children who would love to be fathers. Well, recognize that you are no less men than those who have children with no less the same task to reflect the fatherhood of God to the children here in the church community. Uh, You have a special opportunity to be that fatherly figure, particularly in the lives of those who don't have fathers in their lives. Uh, I know uh, many men, and, and I imagine many of you do as well, men who were raised in the church without a father who can nonetheless credit their faith, humanly speaking, to the, to the older men in the church who led them, who invested in them, who guided them to Christian maturity. Uh, I, I have family members uh, who, who can say that uh, of themselves. Uh, it's good for us to remember, in God's sight then, spiritual fatherhood is always far more important than biological fatherhood. Uh, we ourselves, are we not the children of Abraham? Though for most of us, uh, there is no biological uh, relationship. Uh, Yet we call ourselves His children. He's our spiritual Father. So also for those men among you, uh, it is not only your biological children if you have them, uh, but also the other children in your midst to whom you are to be a fatherly figure reflecting the fatherhood of God. Uh, So this, this, this instruction is very much for you as well. Uh, Having said that then, our our text is verse 21, where Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I want to start with the word discouraged. It's a very important word. This is actually the only place in Scripture where this word uh, occurs, this word discouraged. And it refers to a brokenness of spirit, a brokenness of spirit. Uh, when a child loses heart and loses motivation. Uh, what it implies, and what we all know by experience, is that children are not born discouraged. They're not born discouraged. They're born with a desire to please their, their father and their mother. 
And uh, of course, in some children, that's more obvious uh, than in others. But sometimes even the, the rebellion can be a pushing their parents to the point where they will show, I nonetheless love you. I nonetheless uh, will discipline you and care for you uh, and do what is good for you. Uh, children have an inborn desire to please their father. Uh, and, and so the warning here is, do not break that God-given spirit. Do not break their desire for your affirmation because it can be broken. That can, that spirit can be broken. Uh, fathers in particular have a very powerful place in the hearts of their children and can wield it either to great benefit or to great damage and, and destruction. Uh, now, it's interesting. There are many things that could be said to fathers besides this, aren't there? But Paul chooses to focus on this, and we should understand from that that this is a particular danger for fathers, a particular com- particularly common tendency for fathers. Uh, it's true, men can err on the side of being too loose with their children, too much of a pushover with their children. That does happen. You think of Eli, for example, and his two sons. He refused to discipline them, refused to correct them. Uh, he was a pushover. But the more common danger is for men to be overly strict, overly harsh, to the point that they break the spirit of their children. So let's think about that instruction. What does it mean for a father to provoke his child to discouragement? Uh, let me suggest some, uh, some ways that this can be done. Uh, number one, fathers will discourage their children when they mishandle the rod of discipline. Uh, it, now, it would be easy for us to, to assume that the only way to mishandle the rod of discipline is to discipline too harshly. Uh, that's, that's not entirely true. A father who refuses to discipline, like Eli with his sons, will also, in the end, provoke his child to discouragement. Uh, because the child will feel, in that lack of discipline, uh, the finger of rejection. Now, you know, Proverbs, 30, uh, Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Your children, whether they'll admit it or not, your children know that that's true. That you who are willing to discipline them love them, that if their parents are unwilling, they do not love them. Uh, discipline is an act of love, and when it's done rightly, it will be received, at least in time, as an act of love. Uh, this is sometimes why, why children will even deliberately push the limits, push the boundaries, because they want to know, does mom, does dad love me enough to discipline me when I do wrong, or will they just let me go on my way, uh, more interested in their comfort than in my well-being? Uh, so a refusal to discipline is an act of rejection. It's saying, in effect, I don't care enough about you to discipline you. I don't regard you as my son or daughter uh, because I refuse to step in as, my, as your father or mother. Uh, so when discipline is done well, children will receive it as an act of love. Uh, and the, one of the ways you can tell that it is being received as an act of love is, is there a desire afterwards for fellowship 
to be restored. If discipline is done in such a way that uh, there was no fellowship before and there's no fellowship restored afterwards, that's not going to be received as an act of love. If your children, on the other hand, turn to you for comfort because they have fellowship with you and that fellowship is restored by discipline, it will be received as an act of love. Uh, so, So discipline is an act of love and parents are given the authority and the duty uh, to discipline their children for the life and well-being of their children. Uh, However, we need to recognize that that authority is an authority entrusted by God to be exercised only in God's service. Parents, you sometimes hear parents say, I have the right to discipline my children. No, you don't. You have the duty to discipline your children, but it's not your right. It's not something that belongs to you. It is something entrusted to you to be exercised only ever in God's service. It's not something that's there for you. It's there for, for the child, and it's there for God. Uh, parents are not free to discipline whenever and however they like. That, as a Christian, that is not your right. Uh, That is an abuse of a God-given authority. Uh, You are dealing, after all, with God's child. As you acknowledged in in the baptism of your children, uh, this is God's child uh, with whom you are entrusted. it is, it is then a great privilege, it's a great honor to, to receive that kind of responsibility from God, uh, but it is a privilege that is not to be abused. You are to discipline as a, a solemn representative of God. Uh, that means then that discipline is only ever to be done out of service to the Lord with integrity and never out of anger or frustration. Uh, now, I know as, easy, as much as any of, of you do how easy it is to discipline your children out of anger and frustration, to, to lash out against them, uh, particularly uh, when, when you're, you're sleep-deprived. Uh, it's very easy when your children are little to, to lash out in moments of anger and frustration, but that is not your right. Uh, you do not have the right to do that. Uh, and, and, and it's not only an act of disobedience, it's a very dangerous act. Uh, when your children are little, you have ten times, if not more, their strength. Uh, if it becomes a battle between two sinners, both of whose hearts are not right with God, it's a very dangerous and a very one-sided battle. Uh, if you cannot be self-disciplined and self-controlled as a parent, uh, you, you become a danger to your child. You're not acting uh, out of a right heart before God. Uh, Discipline uh, ought to be done only then when your heart, as a parent, as a father, when your heart is first right before God, uh, then uh, you may may go and should go and discipline your child. Uh, Discipline, done rightly, ought to be painful. It is painful. Hebrews 12 also mentions that. It should be painful. That's the nature of, of discipline. But it always ought to be at least as painful for the father or the mother who's carrying that discipline out. Uh, consider, is that not how the Lord disciplines us as His children as well? He doesn't delight 
to cause us grief. He doesn't delight to discipline us. Uh, He remembers our frame, Psalm 103. Uh, He feels compassion for us. He doesn't just lash out in anger against us. He disciplines us out of love. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure because God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, you are illegitimate children and not sons. God disciplines us because he loves us not because he delights in the discipline itself. The same must be true for you as fathers. A discipline out of love, not out of a desire or out of anger or frustration. Uh, so the rod of discipline being mishandled is, is perhaps the, the number one reason why children can be discouraged. Uh, I should mention that the rod of discipline is also mishandled when children don't know what's expected of them, or, or when what's expected of them can change from one day to the next. If a child can commit an offense one day and nothing happens, and then the next day commit the same offense and, and uh, everything breaks loose, uh, then, then the child will be discouraged because they don't know what's expected of them. Uh, the rod of discipline is then certainly being mishandled. Children thrive in, a, in the context of a home where the rules are clear and, and well understood. Uh, so that was number one. Fathers discipline their children when, when they mishandle the rod, or excuse me, they provoke their children when they mishandle the rod of discipline. Number two, fathers discourage their children when they fail to love them and fail to teach them. Uh, this is, this is sort of the, the opposite uh, of, of mishandling the rod of, of discipline. Uh, or or, or the, the, it's the negative side. So mishandling is the positive uh, way of violating this commandment. Uh, this is the negative. This is failure to do what you ought to do. Uh, we read earlier from Ephesians 6 where Paul gives uh, these instructions to, to the church in Ephesus. And there he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, So, the opposite of provoking your children to anger is not just not disciplining at all, but it is rather being present in the lives of your children, uh, being there for them, teaching them and instructing them in the ways of the Lord. Uh, as I mentioned at the opening of the sermon, children need a father. Uh, and, and children need a father who's not just physically present in the home, but also spiritually, emotionally, relationally present with his children. Uh, uh, too many fathers think that it's their job just to provide the income, and, and then they've done their duty, and they can then you know, sit behind the TV or sit behind the smartphone for the rest of the evening because their job is done. Uh, no, that, that's only part of your duty as a father. Uh, and and that, that sort of behavior will certainly provoke your child to anger. You fathers know this, especially those of you who've had little children. Uh, when you get home, as, as tired as you are, your children are hungry for your attention and your affection. Uh, give it to them. Uh, you owe it to them. That's your duty uh, from God. Uh, your children need a father. 
Uh, and it's good to remember uh, for those of us who are very busy in our work, in our careers, uh, that, that how you raise your children will, at the end of the, of the day, have a far greater impact on the world and on eternity than what you do during your daily work. Uh, now, that is part of your role as a father, to bring home the, the, the income. Uh, but how you raise your children will make the bigger difference in the long run. Uh, so be there for them. Number three, uh, fathers discourage their children through excessive criticism. Uh, I mentioned this a few uh, weeks or maybe months ago uh, when, when I was here uh, and, and uh, we talked about Christian husbands and wives and, and how constant criticism is, is an absolute destroyer of marriage. Well, the same is true between parents and children. Uh, it, it's so easy to assume that our kids already know that we love them and so we never say it. Uh, and yet, when they fail to meet our expectations, we are very quick to say it, very quick to criticize. Oh, well, surely this also provokes a child to discouragement. Uh, your children are hungry for your affirmation. Do not assume that they already have it if you haven't outright said it. Uh, consider the fatherhood of God here. Uh, in Matthew 3, when the Lord Jesus was baptized, if there's anyone if, if there's ever anyone who didn't need to hear it from his father, surely it would be the Lord Jesus who knew his father's love. And yet, in, in the Lord's baptism in Matthew 3, what does fa- the father say? It says, a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, if anyone should have known that, it would be Jesus. And yet, God the Father says it. And he says it, at least in part, so that we as fathers would know this is what a father does. He delights in his children and he makes that known to them. So fathers, say it to your children. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. Uh, uh, Say it to them. I I delight in you. I'm proud of you. You are my blessing. Your children need to to hear that. one of the, the, the analogies we use in our home is that, is that relationships are like bank accounts. Uh, I think I mentioned this in, in the sermon on marriage as well. Uh, bank accounts only function when there are regular deposits. Now, sometimes you need to make withdrawals of, of criticism. Uh, that does happen. But if all you're doing is making withdrawals, eventually that check is going to bounce. That relationship is going to fail. It will not work. Uh, Do not be then the father that only knows how to correct and doesn't know how to affirm and to support and to delight in. Uh, One one pastor put it this way. You may find this helpful. I did. Uh, Not everyone has. Uh, But I'll I'll share it with you. Uh, Fathers should be ridiculously easy to please and yet also impossible to satisfy. Uh, they, they should know, your, your children should know that you are pleased with them. It should be very easy for them to, to know that you delight in them, uh, that you're pleased with them. But they should also never feel that you no longer have any expectations for them. You, know, you don't expect them to rise to, to greater heights. Uh, you should be ridiculously easy to please while at the same time being impossible ever to completely satisfy. Uh, you should always be expecting them to grow and, and mature. Number four, 
Fathers discourage their children by failing to remember their frame. Uh, That's coming from Psalm 103. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Fathers, remember your children's frame. They are sinners like you. They are creatures like you. They have weaknesses like you. Uh, There's also a difference between sin and immaturity. And some things are just immaturity, some things are, are sin. Uh, this is particularly true with, with toddlers, and especially if it's past their bedtime. Know the difference between sin and, and the fact that they are mere creatures that have limits. If it's two hours past their bedtime and they're throwing a fit, the answer there is not a spanking. The answer there is get the, these children to bed. They're not rational creatures. Uh, know their frame, uh, remember their weaknesses. Uh, Number five, fathers discourage their children when they fail to distinguish between sins and mistakes. Uh, If your child spills her milk, it's not a sin. It's a mistake. You don't discipline for mistakes. Now, of course, I'm going to caution this because this might happen at some of your homes uh, this afternoon. If your child spills her milk after being warned three times to settle down because she's being wild, It's a sin. It's disobedience because she kept on being wild. Uh, It's a mistake that happened because of uh, disobedience. Uh, But we need to carefully distinguish between the two. Your children will make mistakes as they grow up. That's that's part of being children. Uh, You don't discipline for for mistakes. Uh, Here, fathers then especially need to be careful to remember the frame of your children. Their mistakes are going to cause you inconveniences, sometimes at the worst times. Do not lash out at them in anger because it's just a mistake, as you too make mistakes. Your children are small. They will make mistakes. They've got motor skills they they still need to develop. Uh, Allow them to do that with the freedom of knowing that dad knows the difference between sins and mistakes. Uh, number six, fathers discourage their children through hypocrisy. Uh, this is, is such a big one in, uh, in the context of, of the church. Uh, when dad's rules are always do as I say, but not as I do, uh, that will most certainly provoke your children to anger. Uh, when dad does the very things that his children are disciplined for, uh, whether that's lashing out, losing his temper, Uh, And dad does not, for his part, submit to the discipline of God, confessing his sins, repenting of them, including in front of his children, uh, then then your children will notice it and it will provoke them to anger. Uh, Children, teenagers in particular, are experts at detecting hypocrisy, at least everyone else's hypocrisy. Uh, They they are very easily able to see hypocrisy. Uh, So live with integrity as Christians. Submit to the discipline of God. When you've done wrong, repent and let your children see that you repent. Uh, your, Your children need to know that just as they are under authority, so you are under the authority of God. Uh, Number seven, this is our last one. Fathers discourage their children when they show disrespect. Actually, that's our second last. My bad. Uh, Fathers discourage their children when they show disrespect. Uh, In moments of anger, it's very easy to, to be loose and disrespectful 
with our words. Uh, this is damaging in, in any relationship, but it's particularly damaging uh, between fathers and children. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, now, corrupting talk is not just foul language, you know, bad words. We often think that that's what Paul means there. Uh, it, it is rather words that distort understanding or communicate lies or denigrate the image of God in someone else. It's corrupting talk. It's, it's words that damage clear thinking. For example, never call your children stupid, either in front of them or behind their backs. It's corrupting talk. It's denigrating, damaging talk. Uh, that includes things like sarcasm as well, which doesn't outright say that someone's stupid, but implies uh, that, that someone is stupid. Uh, you know, you as parents can, can so easily win an argument with your children. It's very easy to make them look stupid uh, by, by shutting them down. Uh, and, and you can do that even if you're wrong. Even if you know you're wrong, you can still win the argument because your, your brain just works ten times faster than theirs. Uh, you can always make them look stupid, but don't. It's wrong. It's evil. Uh, and you can destroy your children by doing that. Uh, our children belong to God, and they're made in the image of God. Uh, by God's grace also, they will be co-heirs with us of the glory of God, of the gospel of Jesus. Our words must never then denigrate the image of God in them. Uh, one of the ways that we, we also sometimes disrespect our children is the way that we can talk about them in front of others, uh, particularly uh, when, when they're around. You know, children are not deaf. Uh, I remember once uh, visiting a family, and I, I heard the dad say, in, right in front of his four-year-old boy, uh, he was saying, you know, Johnny's a wimp. His younger brother, who's only two, is, is already much tougher than him. And, and little Johnny was literally five feet away, and you, he was looking right at his dad's face, and you could see his countenance fall. Uh, that's disrespectful. You wouldn't do that to anybody else. Why would you do that to your children? Uh, your children are not deaf. Uh, mothers can do this as well sometimes, uh, talking with their friends and saying, you know, little Timmy uh, wet his bed again, and, and poor Timmy's right there uh, to hear it. Uh, it's disrespectful. Uh, honor your children as co-heirs of, uh, of the grace of God and as co-bearers of the image of God. Uh, show them respect. Uh, number eight, the uh, last one, fathers discourage their children by showing favoritism. This is probably the oldest story in the Bible. Uh, dad or mom who shows favoritism to his children. Uh, you think of Sarah abusing her son Ishmael. Uh, you think of Isaac showing favoritism towards Esau. Uh, Jacob showing favoritism towards Joseph uh, to the point that his brothers hated him. Uh, favoritism is destructive, and you see that in every one of these stories uh, in Scripture. Uh, here, we do well to remember the character of God. Uh, Romans 2 verse 11, God shows no partiality. Uh, or we read from Colossians 3 25, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there's no partiality with God. 
Uh, Children will very quickly recognize favoritism and it can be just absolutely devastating to their spirit to know that that dad or mom loves one of us more than the others. Uh, It's evil and it's destructive. Now, to the fathers and to the mothers among us, we need to remember the gospel. These instructions about fatherhood that Paul gives us, uh, they are not the sort of instructions that say, if you do this, then you'll be a Christian. It's because you've received the grace of God, because you've been brought out from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ, because of that, uh, you are a new person, you have a new future, a new identity, and therefore a new way of life. Uh, remember the gospel. There is only one perfect father, and that is God. All of us have discouraged our children. Uh, But now we do need to remember that insofar as we've done this, this is part of the old man that we once were that needs to be put to death. And you put it to death in the first place by confessing it to God and then also confessing it to those that you've sinned against. Fathers, if you see yourself in these things, as I certainly do, confess it. Go home today. Confess it to your children, to your wife. Say, I've done these things, and I, I hate them. I don't want to do them. Uh, I, I repent of them before you, and I want to be a new father. Uh, that's how the gospel works. That's how the gospel changes us. We receive the grace of God, and standing on that grace, we live boldly new lives. Uh, So, uh, remember, uh, back in chapter 1, verse 13, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Uh, We are, are free from the baggage of our sin. We don't have to carry it. We can confess it and leave it there on the cross. Uh, Paul himself on several occasions calls himself the worst of sinners. Uh, We need to know that. As fathers, we need Christ as much as anyone and we can feel the same way as the worst of sinners because our sins have some of the gravest consequences. But real Christian fatherhood is fatherhood that derives its identity from Christ. It says, yes, I have been the worst of sinners, and yet I have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and I'm a new man, and I will stand and live on that grace. And then as those who stand on that grace do remember the fatherhood of God. Uh, Remember this, the kind of father that God calls you to be is the kind of father that God himself is to you as his child. Uh, He loves his children, including those of his children whom he calls to be fathers. Uh, He has forgiven you as he calls you to forgive your children. He has redeemed you as he he calls you to show grace uh, and and sacrifice for your children. Uh, It is he who has given you this glorious title of of father. Uh, So let me conclude with the fatherhood of God and what that teaches for us very briefly. Uh, Number one, love your children as God loves you. Uh, Teach them and instruct them with all patience as your father does for you. Uh, 
Number two, discipline. Discipline your children, but do it out of love as your father disciplines you. Uh, Pursue your child's heart uh, in your discipline. Seek their obedience for their well-being. Let them know that you love them enough to intervene, but don't let your discipline be merely the, the rod of correction, but also the words of love that follow the rod of correction. Uh, number three, worship. Worship with them. The fact that so many fathers are here worshiping with their children is a huge deal. Uh, they will learn how to worship God by following your leadership as a father. Uh, worship God. Worship also in the context of your homes. Uh, make time for worship, reading God's word. Uh, praying with them, singing with them. It can be an awkward thing to, to sing, especially when you only have, uh, before you even have children or when you only have one. We learned from uh, the people that we lived with upstairs uh, that uh, you, you sing even when it's awkward and it's just the two of you. Learn to sing because your children uh, will learn to sing with you and they will love worshiping God together with you. It becomes a core part of, of their very life. Sing with them, worship with them. Uh, Number four, reflect the generosity of God to them. Uh, Be givers. Uh, We always want to be careful as fathers, at least I find this impulse, and I I imagine many of you do too, to to not spoil your children. You don't want them to be materialists. And so you you sometimes say, well, we'll we'll limit how much we give them. Uh, and, And there's something right, of course, about that. But don't fall into the habit of saying no far more often than you say yes, and especially if it's just because you can. Uh, you should be generous. You should be givers. Uh, that's, the, that's the character of God. He doesn't deny us anything except that which is harmful for us. And even that, he only denies in order to give us something better. Uh, remember in the garden, it, it, when God created Adam and Eve, it was a garden of yes with a tree of no. One tree of no with a garden of trees of yes. You may have all the trees in the garden except that one. Uh, Number five, remember their frame. We talked about that. Number six, respect them, listen to them, honor them as image bearers of God. Uh, And number seven, rejoice in them as God your Father rejoices in you. Give thanks to God that you have the special honor and privilege of having these children in your home entrusted to your care. It is a privilege, and it's a privilege that, that passes very quickly. Rejoice in them every day that you have them with you. Let them know, too, that you rejoice in them. I think of Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Uh, That's the fatherhood of God. Likewise, you take pleasure in your children. Rejoice in them and delight in them. And and finally, number eight, pray as I do that that God would make you faithful bearers of this this glorious title of father. Uh, James 1 verse 5 gives us this promise, if any of you lacks wisdom, as all of us do, uh, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So pray that God would give you the wisdom and the strength to carry out that title of father, to be a a faithful picture, as veiled and as imperfect as you are, uh, a faithful picture of the the generous, the loving fatherhood of God. 
Be to them the Father that God your Father is to you. Amen.